This episode of You Talking to Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox, so I grew up listening to Hasidic rock. And I'm Reform, so I grew up eating Brighton rock. This is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. You'd be able to hear everything much clearer if the tech wasn't being run by your 15-year-old nephew. Each week, we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they chicken soup or flown the coop? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. So, Rachel, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? So today I went to the Big Kosher supermarket and it made me laugh because I've started a bit of a thing on Facebook where I always tell everybody what music is playing on their speaker system in there. Someone's clearly given them a set of CDs of instrumental versions of pop songs and whoever's in charge of the Muzak doesn't realise that some of those songs aren't very appropriate for that environment. So, for example, they've had Mandy by Barry Manilow and I just called say. I Love You by Stevie Wonder. And last time I was in there, they had an acoustic guitar version of Britney Spears playing Hit Me Baby One More Time. And when I was in there today, they were actually playing Ellie Goulding's Love Me Like You Do, which I'm reliably informed is from Fifty Shades of Grey from the film. Right. I mean, it's not from Fifty Shades of Grey. Like the song came first and they used it in the film Fifty Shades of Grey because Fifty Shades of Grey is not a musical. You're not going to see it on the West End stage anytime soon. I think people pay good money to see a West End musical of Fifty Shades of Grey, especially if it was full of Jews in a supermarket. They call it Fifty Shades of Oive. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you, Philip? What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you? Uh, well, I went on holiday last week uh, with my family. Nice. Thank you. Did a short break in Norfolk. Uh, but it was us along with my parents, my brother and his kids, and one of my sisters and her kids. So 14 of us in total, plus a dog, actually. And it was great. We were staying on a holiday park. And I used the word holiday and park very loosely when uh-huh. I was that. We arrived on the Friday afternoon and the weather was amazing really fantastic which was great because actually with so many bubbles coming together we obviously couldn't really be inside each other's accommodation but where we were staying on this holiday park everyone came over on that first night for friday night dinner in the garden which really was this communal area shared by a few of the other properties in the park so we did a three-hour drive and a quick trip to the beach in front of the most beautiful backdrop of this stunning sunset we lit the candles we did the wine and the color and we brought in shabbat and you know me i'm not that religious so often pre-corona I'd be away working on a Friday night so I wouldn't even really do Shabbat unless we remembered or had people over for dinner but actually I'd say this was a really lovely moment a beautiful start to our holiday shared with my family and about a dozen complete strangers all looking on from the safety of their own properties wondering what kind of cult they just checked into (laughs) Well I'd ask if you told them about our show but of course this isn't all about us it's time to bring on our guests our first has performed 11 one-man shows in Edinburgh at least eight of which have featured him arguing about Israel with his dad. He's made a series for Radio 4 called Travels with My Antisemitism and he was lead singer in the world's first Jewish heavy metal band, Guns and Moses. But he's not obsessed with his background at all. It's Dave Cohen. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hi, Dave. Hi. Dave, what kind of Jew are you? I think I've come from a fairly reasonably religious background and my family for a Russian. So I sort of call myself Russian Orthodox, really. Um, <laughs> but that's not what I am anymore. But I always I did when I was a kid. I always thought there was a guy who was always on telly who's Greek Orthodox, a man called Archbishop Makarios. And uh, I always thought he was the coolest looking guy. I thought that's the kind 
kind of religion I would like to be if I become religious. Sadly now, I am a little bit lapsed, but I am involved in Crouch End where I live. I helped set up a group, which uh, is a, a sort of Jewish, liberal Jewish group, Crouch End Havara. So that's kind of where I am at the moment, a kind of Lib Dem Jew. <laughs> so we look forward to you being represented by a different leader in a week. <laughs> and Dave, how Jewish has your week been? I was supposed to do the most un-Jewish thing was that I, I'm going on a sponsored walk with my son, part of his bar mitzvah, um, his tikkun alam, his voluntary side to things. So that's um, the most un-Jewish thing that happened to me today, except we looked at the for- weather forecast and today the forecast was rain and tomorrow the forecast is sun. So we cancelled the walk today and we're going to do it tomorrow instead, which I think is probably about as Jewish as you can possibly be when it comes to arranging to do a 20k walk. I love that. You just you looked at the weather and went, nah, not doing it today. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> what self-respecting Jewish father and son could be out in the rain walking around Berkhamstead and Ivinghoe and all around there? Really, it's just not on, really. I imagine the exodus from Egypt have been quite different if the weather had been like this. <laughs> They'd be like, nah, let's give it another week of slavery. It's fine. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they weren't going to cross that, that bloody place until all the water had been <laughs> moved away, were they? You know, I've got to swim to escape. We don't step in puddles. That's not a Jewish thing. Apart from Mark Spitz, of course. Remember Mark Spitz? Yeah. American swimmer, seven gold medals, I think, in the 60s and 70s or something like that. So, Well, we've, we've got a sports person. I know, I know. It's astonishing, isn't it? Uh, we had um, Daniel Mendoza in the 1790s, and then we had the guy in Chariots of Fire, Harold Abrahamson. Uh, so that's the 1920s. Uh, and then we had Mark Spitz in the 1970s. And there was Anne Buxton, the tennis player as well, who, who unfortunately died today. So, uh, yeah, we've had a few. Okay. So we, we, you know, we might be due another, due another Jew. Really. <laughs> Our next guest was brought up by his non-Jewish mother from a young age. He's an award-winning comedian who Ricky Gervais recently described as one of his favourite comedians of the last ten years, and he's had six award nominations in four different countries. It's Adam Bloom. Hello, I did win three of those awards, by the way. I'm very proud of you. I just say you were award-winning, so it's all good. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. And then you got nominated for six. I'm going, yeah. That's the thing. When people put awards and nominations in just as a number, you never know what how many is what. You can win one award and 25 are nominations. Go, he's had 26 awards and nominations. It's a justified sentence. And also, when you have a, a sellout run, you can only sell out one night of a run of 30, and you can call it a sellout run, even though you've only sold one night out. So on my poster for Edinburgh last year, I'd previously won the award for best show title at Morecambe Fringe. So for the poster, I put a massive sign that said best show in great big letters and then title written very small next to it. <laughs> oh, <that's cool. laughs> Did you ever meet the late Jason Wood, the singing comedian? No. I don't think so. He was phenomenal, but he got a one star review in Edinburgh and the next year he wrote on his poster, a star. The Guardian. Adam, how do you self-define in terms of your Jewishness? What kind of Jew are you? I'm not. <laughs> Two words. Um, I. It's a very interesting one for me because I, I take after my father, although I was brought up with my mother. I look like my father. I've got his name, his surname. So everything about me you would think is 100% Jewish. I look Jewish. 
And I think I have all the characteristics of my dad and none of my mother. So I'm kind of a very good argument for the nature over the nurture because I kind of, I gravitate to Jewish people sometimes at, at parties, mainly for work. And I suppose I feel quite Jewish, even though I'm rejected by your slightly racist cult. <laughs> Not by my personal one. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't, I feel more Jewish than my upbringing should suggest because whenever I went to my Jewish grandmothers, I always felt like this was home. I always felt when right. I was surrounded by my 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 uncle who's who's very Jewish and my grandmother who's you know completely Jewish everything about is Jewish so when I went there I almost felt like the banter the kind of the chat was far more to my liking because it was quicker and it was it was very my mum's parents are adorable people but they're very kind of straight laced and my grandfather on my mum's side was one of my favourite people in the world but they were still very calm and I like the shtick I like people firing lines across the dinner table at each other so I felt really actually comfortable there so I feel not Jewish in a religious sense but I feel very Jewish culturally despite having very little of it in my life which I think is an interesting situation. Adam do you find that the comedy circuit has labelled you as a Jewish comedian? Yes and I do there's nothing I can do you know I've done seven Edinburgh's I've done three Radio 4 series and in all that time which has got to be eight hours of nine hours of material ever in my career I've probably got 10 minutes on being Jewish and most of that's on not really being Jewish but if your face (laughs) is Jewish your name's Jewish and you do one reference to be, I've got one line. So my dad's Jewish, my mum's German, which means one half is arrogant and wants to take over the world, and the other half's German. So that's, <laughs> that's a joke about not having a Jewish father. And people still hear the word Jewish. Oh, there's Adam doing his Jewish material. It's like Adam's not. Adam's doing his one joke in his twenty-minute club set about not being Jewish, and they go, oh, "Yeah, I saw this Jewish comedian the other day." So once you've got this face, you're kind of stuck with it. Yeah, and yeah. also when we have the comedians' Christmas party every year, the Jews do all gravitate in one corner. <laughs> uh, we always end up in one space. I always call it the ghetto. Wherever we are, we're in the ghetto, and you you are in that little crowd. You do come and hang out. But you know what? When I met you, there was a welcoming vibe from you, and um, maybe it's just your nature, but it almost I felt like there was a little Jewish wink, like. You're one of us. Come on, come over here. And um, I can't know if that was a maternal instinct in you because people mother me. Because as intense as I may be, I've got a vulnerable childlike nature that women tend to mother me. So I didn't know whether you were mothering me because you were Jewish or because you because you're a mother. <laughs> the truth is, Adam, it's because that's how we get you into the cult. <laughs> not, joining, not joining. But there's a, you know Steve Jameson, for example. When Steve Jameson met me, he opened his arms up and he'd heard about me. He'd heard about this young guy. But, you know, he opened his arms up and I, I thought that's got to be some percentage that's got to be the Jewish thing. But another percentage, as you know, is his lovable, lovable, warm nature. But, but mm. when a Jewish person's really warm to me or meeting me, I'm not quite sure what percentage is just because they're friendly and what percentage is Jewish. And I'm not sure what percentage is going to be rejected when I tell them I'm not actually one of them. <laughs> With all of that in mind, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Being asked on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. That it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I have a neurosis about I me. And if there's a stereotype that's true about Jewish people being slightly neurotic, then every minute of my last week's been Jewish. By that logic. Because <laughs> I'm an overthinker and I'm a worrier. You know, I don't worry about the world. I worry about how I'm dealing with any given moment. Like we had a, as you know, we had a connection problem and I ran up the street to my friend's house. This is a steep hill and I've already been running today. So my legs are in recovery mode from running this morning. <laughs> So I ran up the street because there's four people waiting for me. Now, that's quite a Jewish trait because it's that feeling of, you know, not wanting to put somebody else out. If that's a Jewish stereotype, then the last thing I did was run up the hill. (laughs) Between the two of you, your most Jewish things this week have actually been exercise. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is weirdly un-Jewish. I was running feeling physically fine, but the guilt was killing me. <laughs> Obviously, these are tough times we're living in, so we like to ask our guests, what's the matter, Bubbler? Dave, what's going on with you at the moment? Obviously, we're all bothered by the state of the world at the moment and all the things that are happening. I mean, I know the world of stand-up, which you guys are all still in, which I, I left some years ago, it's a very difficult time for everybody. But I mainly now, I moved over to comedy writing and I started teaching comedy writing a few years ago and that's been something that's that's kind of growing now. And the thing that worries me, and, I, and it's kind of something something when you have the surname Cohen and you're a stand-up comedian the Jewish thing is it's called for you whether you like it or not but that that's always been a kind of big thing for me and now the big thing is that um, I'm making um, making money out of stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm and I have this kind of the, the trope the Jewish trope going around in my head of you know oh look you know here's the Jewish guy making money out of coronavirus so that's kind of I hope I'm not going too heavy here but you know that's that's, that's been bothering me a lot recently thinking god are people are people going to look at me and think oh he's like George Soros only uh, <laughs> not, not quite in that league but you know he's uh, he's doing this uh, stuff education and stuff like that and he's getting paid for it and everyone else is uh, unemployed so yeah but apart from that you know I guess like Adam you know that's a sort of is that a kind of everyday neurosis uh, guilt feeling I'm not sure really I think it's quite a contemporary neurosis because Philip and I have had that conversation quite a few times about things can we ask for money for this or for that or will people just perceive it as as those Jews asking for money again like there is there that weird anxiety I think that's a thing mm, very much yeah and it does and, it, and I think one of the reasons why you know in my stand-up years I, I kind of always uh, had this kind of thing that hey I'm, I'm just really crap with money and I leave it all to my agent and uh, you know and I, I'm I'm terrible at all that side of things and it was sort of convenient to be like that because I thought if I get good at this uh, I'm worried that people and you know you'd be surprised some of the things that people would say to me uh, thinking that you know well he he won't mind that sort of thing being said but you know people talking about Jews and money you know it's quite, quite sort of left-wing comedians and things yeah and uh I, I just always and I, I, I you know I'd pull them up about it I'd say you know you can't you can't say that you know, mm. but I just thought I, I couldn't really believe, you know, this was like in the 1980s and 90s. I thought, yeah, it's still out there. It's the last socially acceptable form of racial sort of stereotyping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's mm. like, oh, money, money. I gave someone a, a good deal on a writing job recently and it got back to me that they'd said, oh, well, Adam took the job because he's Jewish. And I thought, I actually took the job, job at a discount, if you want to know. So I, I find it very hurtful, actually. Yeah, and what you won't know as well, Adam, because you didn't have the same sort of Jewish upbringing that we did, but discount is the most Jewish word in, in the, the, the whole of my uh, the, the time that I was growing up. As soon as I hear the word discount, uh, I'm suddenly hearing all my family and uh, all the clothing oh, really? operations that they did. We often find that we talk about things on stage and then the audience feel it gives them license to join in the joke forgetting that what we say on stage is a joke. I run Jurorama mm. in Edinburgh, which is a Jewish compilation show. It's a free show, and then we do a bucket collection at the end. You know, a Jewish and non-Jewish acts as well. And we spent an hour talking about Jewish things. And then there was one show where somebody came and made a real big deal about the fact that we were asking for money. And I think he was joking because it felt like he was trying to follow on from what we'd been saying, but it wasn't his place to do. So it also nice felt... Place. Semitic. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And it's a bit like when people are 
quite rude to you after gigs because they think you've been funny, so therefore you can take a joke. And it's like, well, actually, you're just a person being rude to another person right now. But they yeah. think, I was talking about this with a friend of the other day, um, Shiraz Youssef. Do you know Shiraz? Um, yeah. He was he used to box, and he says when people spar with a big boxer, they hit the big boxer harder with during sparring. But, of course, he still feels pain, and he's sparring. So the point is they just think, well, he's big, he can take it. And they think we're comedians who can take any joke. Yeah. Rappers saying the N-word doesn't give everyone else in the audience the right to say the N-word after they've spoken to the rapper. So the Jewish joke to you is, I, I think it's a, an easy mistake, but of course, yeah, it's not their place to make the joke. Hmm. As a very publicly Jewish comedian, I had a joke that I've always got a massive laugh and I took it out of my set because I realised that it really reinforced this stereotype of Jews and money. I was gigging somewhere, I think it was somewhere in Sunderland, it was just like a, a, norm, a normal club, there were no Jews in and I told this joke and everybody laughed and I suddenly had like a cold feeling in the pit of my stomach about how they were all laughing at me telling them it's all right to laugh at this joke about yeah. Jews and I had exactly that actually I used to do a joke um saying about how um and in fact being a stand-up how I was sort of doing very well as a stand-up and that I was becoming quite posh and I was becoming a hooray Jaime and um it's, <laughs> it's always got a, a laugh and then I did it one midnight at the comedy store and there was just something about the way the audience laughed that was different enough for me to go I'm never doing that joke again because yeah. I could tell there was a, there was just something the hostility in in the laughter the laughing at rather than the laughing with and and I that from that point I I dropped that joke. Would you still perform that joke in front of a Jewish audience? I guess I probably would and I, if I did do that I would I would then probably tell the story about it and then I'd tell them all off for laughing at it or something. So <laughs> I, I you know I'd, I'd find I possibly yeah. I had a joke about Jewish stereotypes and it really worked. So I sold it. <laughs> and Milton Jones used to do a joke about, he said, you know what it's like when you're in, when you're in a mosque and you like playing leapfrog? It's a really cute <laughs> image, isn't it? Have you heard that joke before? But he said no, he did it in Kent. Yeah. He did it in a rough part of Kent. And there were blokes with, yeah, you tell them. And it's such an innocent joke. It's about his inability to resist jumping over a body. It's got nothing to do with religion. It's just about bending over and jumping him. And he said, so when he went back to that part of the country, he didn't do the joke again. So my point to Dave is, would you do that at 7 p.m. in an art centre? Probably not, actually. You know, I mean, it's... Uh, it it's, I don't know. This is a very live issue, especially in sort of comedy writing and things. And I mean, you know, a lot of I've, I've worked with a lot of black writers, and um, you know, they talk about "Love Thy Neighbor," which was uh, a, yeah. the show they hated. And I've been sort of thinking a lot about this with all the cancel culture uh, chat and things. But actually, you know, there was a show when I was growing up called "Never Mind the Quality, Feel the Width," about an, a Jewish tailor and, and a, an Irish uh, tailor who worked for him, and they were called Manny Cohen and Paddy Kelly. And it was a, you know, it was a, it was a really sweet, gentle comedy. There was no, no racism was intended. But I tell you, every day that I went to school when that show was on, I was oh Manny, and that was my, that was my nickname at school, Manny, you know. And and I could really see, you know, when I watched Love Thy Neighbor as a teenager, I could see, I, I, the comedy nerd in me understood actually, this isn't about racism. This is about men versus women, and it's always the two blokes fighting each other and the women are kind of watching bemused and uh the the, the black guy always won well most of the time but the, the 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 white guy would say racist things and so you know it, 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 even with the best intentions of what you write and what you come across yeah. 
an audience will see it in a completely different way. I love this because we asked the original question, which was, what's the matter, Bubbler? And it's become a 20-minute debate about comedy, which is absolutely brilliant. As you guys both know, I'm a full-on Jewish mother. And every time I see you, the first thing that comes to mind is the question, have you eaten yet? We're all a little bit obsessed with food. And I'd love to know if you have any particular memories or stories that connect to Jewish food or a, a particular meal where you ate something that is part of your Jewish cultural heritage. So, Dave, what about you? I, I'm vegetarian now, but I, I actually was vegetarian as well for a while, about sort of 25, 30 years ago. And my provincial Leeds family, they didn't really get what that meant. And um, I would go back to Leeds uh, for a weekend from university or wherever I was. Actually, I was in London at this time. And my mum would cook and she'd make something, you know, she'd make sort of steak and chips or something. And I'd say, you know, mum, I told you I'm vegetarian now. And she said, yeah, yeah, I thought that was just what you did in London. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there was a, a bar mitzvah and it must have been about 30 odd uh, years ago. I came back to for Leeds and I said, okay, look, I need to tell the caterers that I'm, I'm vegetarian. And I rang the caterers two weeks before this uh, uh, bar mitzvah and I said look I'm vegetarian so can you can I have the, the, the vegetarian option so I turned up for this bar mitzvah and uh, there was this you know big spread out there and I went and I got some I got my my plate and I went and picked up my food and things and the main course was fish and peas and potato and I said I called up a couple of weeks ago remember I said can I have the vegetarian option please and they said yes uh, yes here you go and they gave me peas and potato <laughs> <laughs> I was in a really, this is pre-spoken spoken about, a really dodgy cafe, and this couple sat down, and there's an ashtray on the table, and the woman said, oh, I actually asked for non-smoking section, so the waiter just took the ashtray away. <laughs> <laughs> My friends and I, years ago, in a Thai restaurant, there about 12 of us sat around this table, and the waitress brought out the food, and she's going around the table going, uh, chicken chow mein, chicken chow mein, chicken chow mein, and someone put their hand up very nervously and said, well, I ordered the vegetarian chow mein. And she looked at the food and went, vegetarian chow mein, vegetarian chow mein, <laughs> and gave her the day. <laughs> Lovely. Well, what about you, Adam? Have you got any particular memories that are connected to Jewish food? Well, I'll tell you what. When I used to go to my grandmother's, um, it was all the chopped liver and the chicken soup and all the stuff, uh, matzo balls. With, is it called matzo balls? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, my, I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat for 13 years now, only fish. But my favourite thing in the world has got to be chopped liver. Mm. That's, mm -hmm. that's all I've got to say. Um, and I, 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 I don't miss meat that much. I miss a good burger, but I think chopped liver is probably the thing I miss most. Because people always say they miss a good steak, don't they? I miss a good steak. I think I miss yeah. chopped liver and my nan being alive. There you go. Ah, uh, that's, that's beautiful. Beautiful. Only so she can make me chop liver. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. My grandma also used to make chop liver. She did it. She had like a mincer thing that you attached to the side of the kitchen table and turned a handle. Can anyone tell me the origin? Uh, it's because it's just sprung to mind. The, the joke, which I, I first heard, I, I used to uh, share a flat with an American comedian called Kit Hollaback. And um, she, uh, this was the first time that I heard the phrase, just about 35 years ago. What am I? Chopped liver? And um, yeah. I just wonder, what, what's the, do we know what the origin of that phrase is? I don't know it's the origin, so but I love that expression. We, I, I say that quite often. I guess it's saying, are you the thing that everybody ignores at the table? But I've never ignored a plate of chopped liver right. in my life. It's such a weird analogy for me. I, Eminem, I'm a big Eminem fan, and there's a line, you know the song Without Me? Do you know the song Without Me? And he says, they want shady, I'm chopped liver. 
other. Meaning Eminem is no one's interested. His other persona is Slim Shady, and Slim Shady is the edgier one. So he's basically saying no one wants me. They want my my alter ego. But when he went, they want Shady. I'm Chop Liver. I thought he was referring to himself as Shady and Chop Liver meaning amazing. I'm Chop Liver. I'm the nicest. <laughs> so I had no idea. I, I, I actually I'm really quite hurt that Chop Liver is considered a negative. Given that it's my favorite thing anyone's ever given me to. Eat. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But it's just a thing people ignore at the table because they're having the main. Is that like? Is it like I'm garlic bread? <laughs> Is it? I'm, I'm pistachio nuts. What's it? I guess it, I mean, guess it must be. Yeah. Doughballs. I'm doughballs. They want shady. I'm doughballs. <laughs> if you ever felt like you were going to break away from vegetarianism just for a plate of chopped liver, just WhatsApp me. I'll sort you out. Really? A bit of um, gherkin, pickled gherkin. Of course, I'm not an animal. You're a sort of backstreet chopped liver. Dealer. I know of man. Yeah. I've been doing a bit of research, and there's two possible reasons. One is that. It was considered so distasteful that it was often just thrown away. So your opinion would be considered something that could be thrown away. And the other is that it would be served as a side dish. And therefore, what am I chopped liver means, well, am I just your sidekick? That's so that, that, said, that's two yeah. options, but there's yeah. no definitive answer. And they're both wrong in terms of how we should view chopped liver. Which is the most Jewish answer ever. Here's the answer. <laughs> they're both wrong. <laughs> We like to think about some of the broigas that happen, whether you say bagel or bagel, and we wondered whether either of you had a broigas or a family feud that you wanted to tell us about now. Yes, I'd like to say something. If you say bagel and not bagel, you're not normal. And that's it. <laughs> End of debate. They're called bagels. That's it. Well, not no, where I'm from. My opinion is one way. What am I, chop liver? Uh, I, I guess the etymology, really, of uh, Jewish words. And, you know, I, I grew up as in my sort of pre-bar mitzvah years um, saying, beret shits but then at school when we had to say it everybody said beret shit because it was really funny and we all giggled and then i became a more sophisticated urbane uh, less provincial jew and uh, discovered that beret shit was actually the modern way that people said it not that i spoke any hebrew at all at this point i was gigging on friday night at the comedy store so you did it at a late show and no one laughed <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, maybe <laughs> subsequently, some of my family have become ultra orthodox, and so um, they have gone back to Bereshis. So there is actually now, uh, and I, I, I was at something in Leeds a few years back, and I had the temerity to say uh, Bereshit, and I got quite, you know, I got a bit of a, a, a ticking off for this. So it's not Bruegers, but I just thought that's interesting how, you know, kind of how different strands within the community can have such kind of harsh uh, disagreements over the pronunciation or is it pronunciation i don't know if you think about the idea of six degrees of can't eat bacon who is your most interesting personal jewish connection my dad always said that we were related to milton burl the uh, great oh. american comedian but I, I've never had any proof of this at all. But there was uh, one story when we still had a, a clothing company. Great Uncle Jack went on a business trip to Canada uh, in the 1970s. And he came back. He'd been to Montreal. He said, I had a really great time in Montreal. He said, I met a family called Rowan. Um, and they were they were a clothing family and a very successful family in Montreal. And... Um, Two of the sons, very good boys. They've they've gone straight into the family business. They followed their dad. One of the sons 
uh, he's a black sheep. We don't, they don't like to talk about him. And uh, he's become a poet. And my sister and I, and Tenor, immediately went off and said, uh, he's not called Leonard by any chance. Said, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's the name. So that, that's, oh. um, that's, the, that's the closest that I've ever come to the legendary uh, Leonard Cohen. Amazing. Hallelujah. <laughs> that's a great connection, Leonard Cohen. Very special. Adam, who is the most interesting or surprising personal Jewish connection that you have? Well, apparently I'm related to Bernie Winters. He's like a distant, like third cousin. But, you know, if I have a comedian, like very, very distant in the family. But that's what I was told. I, no one backed it up with any family tree knowledge. I can. I'm, I'm the, when I have no beard, I'm the spitting image of Harper Marx, though. I don't know if you know that. My Twitter picture is Harper Marx, and people think it's me. Wow, I've never thought of that. I've dressed up as Harpo in Edinburgh, and people see the picture uh, and don't know it's not me. But when you walk around Edinburgh dressed as Harpo Marx, do people not think it'd be unlikely that a young Harpo Marx would be alive and walking around the streets of Edinburgh? Yeah, what it was, I'll tell you what I did. I warmed up my audience as Harpo with Alistair McGowan kind of doing a voiceover recorded for me. So I came on to my audience with a horn. It was great because they didn't expect, obviously, anything other than me walking on but my point is the photograph from that show that was taken backstage when that goes online no one thinks that's me as harper they just think it's harpo so that shows how much you look like someone right? that okay. reminds me actually when i started out i used to look like alexi sale and two or three times after gigs outside london people would come up to me and say oh you're brilliant mate you know i really like you you were brilliant as the landlord and the young ones and, <laughs> and i say no no that wasn't me that's alexi sale i look a bit like him and and one person said it to me once and i remember it was in coventry or something he said oh yeah that, and he said i loved you on that late night tiswell show said, no that's not me that's alexi sale and he went no no it was you i said no, no it wasn't me i've never been on that show it was you and this guy got really aggressive with me because he would not believe that i wasn't alexi sale <laughs> Well, that's nearly all we've got time for. But how will our audiences know what you're up to if you don't call and you don't write? And normally we'd allocate 20 seconds for this kind of thing. But for you, 30. If you want to hear some of my songs on Horrible Histories, they're sort of running all the time. That's a lot of fun. But I'm also, I've written my first novel, which is very exciting. The title at the moment is called Channeling Sheila Robottom. I don't know if that's going to stay the title, but it's <laughs> going to feature me arguing with my dad about Israel. Excellent. A, a new take on a new topic for you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Adam, what about you? Come and see me on Twitter, where I tweet about 20 jokes a day. At Adam Bloomy 2 for the people listening. And on this particular occasion, haven't you also got something properly special to promote yourself, Philip? I have, actually, yes. This show isn't all about us, though, so for you, 20. Right, uh, okay. Well, this is very exciting for me, as one of the projects I've been working on since the first lockdown began was a children's comedy show called Schools Out Comedy Club, where kids were sending jokes for me to tell as part of the show. Uh, it's been great for Fun, and I even did some live shows for youth groups and haters. And now I've put all the jokes into a book and they make an excellent stocking filler. Actually, is there a Jewish version of stocking filler? Don't really know. A schlocking filler. There we are. Uh, anyway, they're $6.99 with profits going to a charity called Fair Share that helps feed hungry families and children. And they're available from my website, philipsimon.co.uk forward slash shop. And I'd have to say that that is the only Hanukkah present for children that's been fully endorsed by Jude talking to me. <laughs> 
Well, after all that excitement, it looks like we've lost both of our guests due to technical issues, but we've had a great time. And from now on, I will always think of Dave as the Jew who doesn't eat meat, even when he's outside London, and Adam as the Jew who only did the show because we couldn't get Harpo Marks. <laughs> and as my grandfather used to say, I loved seeing your smiling faces arrive, and I will love seeing your little tuchuses leave. Because sadly, we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, wherever they might be, Dave Cohen and Adam Bloom. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Share, subscribe and review and join us next time on Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Bulkin. My mum has just WhatsApped. She complained about last week's episode because I wasn't visible enough in the screen. Obviously, I was like that or something, and she complained about it. Uh, she's just WhatsApped to say, you're sitting in a much better position in this week's podcast. Amazing. So, I, I love I, that. I a genuine moment of thinking, is she watching this? <laughs>